Welcome to the Weekly Sermon Podcast at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. For six men of Indistan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant, and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl, God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second, feeling of the tusk, cried, Ho, what have we here, so very round and smooth and sharp? To me, tis mighty clear, this wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal, and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain to see, quoth he. Tis clear enough, the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth who chanced to touch the ear said, E'en the blindest man can tell what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can, this marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope, than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indistan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong. Moral? So often theologic wars, the disputants, I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prate about an elephant not one of them has seen. How many of you have ever heard that little story or poem before? Show of hands. Quite a few, quite a few. I'm really not surprised by that. I'm honestly surprised that more of you hadn't been exposed to it at some point in, in time. Whether or not you realize that that little poem or that little story is really what lies at the very heart of contemporary uh, liberal culture in, in America and frankly throughout the West. And the point that the little story is trying to make is that that everybody is trying to pursue spiritual truth in their own way. But even though everybody is pursuing spiritual truth, nobody really has the market cornered on it. Each one is actually just seeing a different aspect of it, and nobody is seeing the truth as a whole. And, and so the conclusion, as it was showed up there, is really this. That when it comes to spiritual things, everybody needs to show a lot of humility because nobody can really know the entire truth. And furthermore, it is dangerous and damaging when one party or one faction claims to have more truth or greater truth than any other faction. Or to put it another way, it is divisive when any one faith puts its claims above any other faith. So, in other words, everybody is basically on the same path. We're all trying to get to know who God is and to understand Him. We just have different ways of getting to the same truth. Have any of you heard that? I bet you have. It's all throughout our society. Again, this teaching forms the very foundation for what I'm going to refer to this morning as a secular or pluralistic society. And the idea is, is that, that if we can just simply lay down our moral and religious differences, then, then we can come together 
And together we can decide as a people what will be the best for everyone concerned and we can build the very best culture or the very best society uh, that is possible. This very idea was popularized in John Lennon's song, Imagine, and I'm sure that you've heard it. Spence, go ahead and flip it over for me. Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. I bet you've all heard that song. Very, very famous song. And it is a tremendously attractive vision. There's nothing wrong, really, with the vision. The reality is, if it's possible for each of us to lay down our idea of what God is, and if it is possible for us to lay down our, our values and, and to lay down our moral differences, and all live together in peace and make a better world, if it's possible for us to do all of that, that, that can be a very powerful thing. But if Christians continue to insist that there is only one God and only one way to God, what happens is that makes Christians like sort of terrorists in a way. Because what Christians are doing when they proclaim that there is only one God and one way to God, they're standing in the way of putting aside our differences, of putting everybody on equal ground, of everyone coming together to build the best world that can possibly be made. And that is exactly why, guys, in case you don't understand it, I really want you to get this this morning. Because this is exactly why Christians are being pressed out of the public square right now. It's the reason why Christian billboards are being taken down and Christian advertising is being denied on a lot of the social media and Christmas displays are being sued out of the public square all over the United States. It all comes back to this idea. It's why the world wants us to be quiet. It's a very logical thing to do because if, in fact, no one can really know the elephant completely... And if, in fact, maybe there's not even really an elephant that exists anyway, or if the elephant is not really relevant, then the best thing to do is not talk about the elephant. The best thing to do is to push the elephant out of the public square and everybody just come together as one and work for the good of society. Most logical thing in the world if there is not an elephant. But what if there is an elephant? And by elephant, I mean God, obviously. What if there really is a God? And, and, and what if this elephant or this God, rather than being something that we just have to feel around on and try to kind of figure out the best way we can, what if this God has spoken to us? And what if this God is in charge of both time and eternity and He holds our lives in His hands? 
And what if this God has earnestly warned us that we each will give an account of ourselves to Him whenever we pass from this life? And what if this God has made it explicitly possible for us to know Him and His will? If there is such an elephant, if there is such a God as that, then it becomes essential that we talk about Him. It becomes essential that we stand up for Him. And that's the case I want to make for you this morning. That there really is a God who holds our lives in His hands. And who has, in fact, we're we're not fumbling around to find Him. He has, in fact, revealed Himself to us. And He will indeed hold us accountable someday for everything that we do in this life. And one of the most critical things that we need to know about this God, guys is that he has declared himself to be the truth. God is truth. We're continuing to talk about the attributes of God. One of the most important attributes about God is his truth. That doesn't mean that simply that God speaks truth, although he does. It also doesn't mean that God just knows truth, although he knows truth as well. When it says that God is truth, what it literally means is that God is the very essence of what truth is. That God as He exists doesn't just have knowledge of the truth or speak out the truth, but in His character, in His nature, He actually is truth in itself. The Gospel of John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus was speaking. Jesus obviously the Son of God in the Christian view. He says, I am the way. Does anybody know those next two words? I am the way, the truth, and the life. In 1 John 1, verse 5, it says this. This is a message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Well, what does that mean? It means in a sense that God is truth. There is no falsehood in God at all. And so what this means is that any time that we look towards God, for whatever reason, any time we look to God, the only thing that we can come away with is truth. If you want to know the best way to raise your kids, look to God and you will learn the truth about that. If you want to know the best way to exist together as husband and wife in a marriage, look to God and you will know the truth about that. If you want to know the truth about money or sex or or work or anything else, look to God and you will find that truth. If you want to know the truth about creation and our place in it as human beings, look to God and you will find it. In other words, anything that we need to know as human beings about our existence and how we are to relate to one another and to relate to God's creation and to relate to God Himself, we look to God and the only thing that we can come away with by reaching out and trying to lay hold of Him is the truth because God Himself is truth. And he is not hiding any of these truths from us. As a matter of fact, God has spoken numerous times over thousands of years right here in time, in real time, and in real space. And the things that God has spoken have been recorded. Right? 
We have, for example, the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that they were chiseled in stone tablets and traveled with the Israelites for many generations in the Ark of the Covenant. And the, 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 the Ten Commandments are something that is very well known throughout the world. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. These laws are so universal that they actually form the backbone of all of the laws in all of Western civilization. That is how universal and, and strong and truthful these laws are. And then, of course, we have over in the New Testament, Matthew 22, and you don't need to turn there. You'll know these verses. We have the two greatest commandments as voiced by Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we have all kinds of truths that have come to us in time and space through actual living people who have had actual interactions with God and have recorded His words for us to be able to go back and read them. And, and not only do we have that, but we have God's interactions with men and women recorded down through the generations. 4,000 years at least in the Scripture where people have related to God and He's related to Him and we've seen what the people have done and we've seen how God has responded to them. For example, over in, in uh, Numbers chapter 20, and again, you don't need to turn there, but these are references for you. We have the story about Moses in the rock. You remember that? The Israelites were, God had already led them out of Egypt. They were moaning and complaining and unhappy because they didn't like the food and they didn't have enough water. And so they complained to Moses about the lack of water. And God spoke to Moses and he said, here's what I'm going to do. Moses, take the staff that I've given you and you're going to go out and you're going to tap the, the rock with your staff and the rock is going to burst forth and water is going to come out enough to water the whole Israelite community. That's what God told Moses. And so Moses, being very frustrated as any of us would be, because the people were constantly constantly unhappy and moaning and complaining and griping and so having that word from God he goes out to the big rock that God had showed him and he took out his staff and he took it and he just whacked that rock a couple of times as hard as he could and he turned around and he said to the people must we bring water out of this rock for you griping people well something's happened and the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Moses, because you didn't hold me up as holy in the eyes of the people. In other words, instead of, because you took credit for bringing water out of the rock. And because of the way that you struck the rock and you tried to bring glory to yourself instead of me, Moses, you're not going to enter the promised land. That's a very honest account about a man of God and his Lord. And the Bible's full of those kinds of honest accounts. We have the story of Israel and, and how God told them that if you will love me, I will be your God and you will be my people, but you have to observe all of these things that I'm showing you. Do not become like the nations around you. 
Because if you do, the land will most surely vomit you out. And then we have in, in, in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles and in the prophets the story of how God in fact brought foreign armies in and the Israelites were carried away from the promised land. We have the record in the scripture of things that Jesus did. Like whenever they brought the woman caught in the very act of adultery. And the religious leader said, good teacher, we have found this woman caught in the very act of adultery. The Bible says, or the scripture says, that we should stone her. What do you say? And we have the story about Jesus riding on the ground. And then he stood up and he said, the one of you that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. That's recorded. We have all the stories that Jesus told. And the truths that he shared. For example, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18 where, where Jesus talks about this very proud, boastful Pharisee who goes to pray along with a tax collector who was the most despised of all people in Israel. And how the, how the Pharisee looks up and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not a liar. I'm not a thief. I'm not a cheat. I'm not even like this tax collector. Thank you for that, Lord. But the tax collector, Jesus said, beat his breast and said, Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. And Jesus said, This man, rather than the first, went home justified. We have all sorts of things like that written down and recorded to us in the Scripture. And he has given us this record so that we could reliably know the elephant. So that we could really understand who God is and what He stands for and what His values are. And by the way, guys, don't kid yourself. The Bible is an incredibly uh, reliable book. Sometimes you hear people make arguments like, well, think of how many times the Bible has been copied. Think about how many hands it's gone through. Think about how many scribes had to copy that down by hand. Surely some of these guys were rogue. Surely some of them, you know, changed the words of God just a little bit to, to, to more accurately reflect their own views. Well, I'm here to tell you if that ever happened, it would have taken a very talented scribe. Because we have 6,000 manuscripts and fragments of the Scripture in the, in the well, not the original text, but, but uh, very close to 6,000. This means for anybody to get an error implanted within the Scripture, they would have had to have gone to all kinds of geographical locations throughout the Middle East, and they would have had to have changed all of the manuscripts simultaneously for those mistakes to get down for us. No, what we have is many, many ways to compare and make sure that what we have in our hands is truly the Word of God. This book that you and I hold is as accurate as any ancient document can be. In addition to the Word of God, hasn't God also given us common sense and a moral compass that we might know Him? I want you to look at Romans chapter 2 verse 14. Romans chapter 2 verse 14. This is one of those passages that we just cruise right past and we don't see it most of the time. Romans chapter 2 verse 14.
It says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. It says, even Gentiles, not talking about Jews, not talking about believers. Paul says, even Gentiles, people that don't know God, they have this sense about what is right and wrong. Their consciences convict them whenever they do wrong, and so they prove that the truth of God has been written on their hearts. Isn't that so? I mean, we see that demonstrated so frequently in real life. Man, it's probably been 10 or 12 years ago. I forget just how long ago. One of the awfulest stories that, honestly, I remember hearing in a very long time. And I know that you'll remember it too. A woman in Fort Worth uh, hit a pedestrian. I don't recall if it was on the freeway or where it was, but she hit a pedestrian and she whacked him pretty hard, so hard that he was impaled in her windshield. And she was afraid of what charges might be brought against her, what might happen to her. And so instead of stopping to help this man that she had run into, she just drove home with him impaled in her windshield. And he didn't die. And so he set out impaled in the windshield in her car for three or four days, as I recall. And ever so often, she would go out in the garage and check on him to see if he was still alive. And when she found him still alive and pleading for his life, she would continually apologize to him and tell him how sorry she was. Why would she apologize? Why? Because she knew. She ignored it. But she knew it was wrong in her heart. And that's exactly what the Scripture is telling us. Not only has God revealed Himself in His Word, but God has revealed Himself into our hearts, not just the hearts of believers, brothers and sisters, but in the hearts of all mankind. God has revealed Himself. Not only has God revealed Himself in that way, but He has allowed us to know Him experientially through Christ. The Bible says that whenever God chooses to reveal Himself to us and we come to recognize our own sinfulness and we are confronted with the truth of the gospel that says that God has provided a means of atonement or forgiveness for our sins through Christ and we accept that means of forgiveness and we look to God and we thank Him for His grace and we begin to desire to live for Him, the Bible says at the moment all of that takes place, the Holy Spirit comes into our heart. And the Holy Spirit begins to lead us in a way that, that is even beyond our conscience. Our conscience tells us what's right and wrong, but the Holy Spirit goes one better than that. Because now we can pick up the Bible, which is the Word of God, and words that didn't make any sense to us before we had the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden as we begin to read through the Scripture, things will leap off the page. And we will get enlightenment and we will have understanding and, and things will convict us that never convicted us before. Not only that, you remember Paul? Paul was a man who loved the Lord. He traveled with the gospel, went all over the world of his day. And as he traveled and, and tried to understand what God's will was for his life, there were certain times when he decided, well, I'm going to go to this certain area and I'm going to preach the gospel over there. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit would speak to him. 
And the Holy Spirit would say to him, Paul, no, you're not going to go there. Go over here. And so Paul would change his mind and move. That is a part of the Holy Spirit experience. There are times that we can't explain when the Holy Spirit just lets us know that we're supposed to be here and not there, or we're supposed to be there and not here. I've shared this story many times with you, I think, but uh, right before Donna and I came to Cowboy Church, it's been almost 18 years now, believe it or not, and right before we came, there was another little church that we were in dialogue with, and uh, man, we fit together really well. They were a boots and jeans kind of a church. They were traditional, but a boots and jeans kind of church in a small community out in West Texas. We all met together at the steakhouse. We, we got along just fine, and they liked us, and they liked my preaching, and they said, well, we want you to come back in view of a call. That meant they wanted to hire me. And so we said, okay, yeah, we'll come back, and we'll preach for the entire church. Church can vote on us. And, and we took off out of town. And the further we got from town, and we didn't have to go far, just five or six miles. But the further we got out of town, the more uncomfortable I became. And I told Donna, I said, I don't understand why, but I think we're going to have to call these people and say no. And she said, you know, I'm feeling the same thing. And so what I'm trying to say to you, brothers and sisters, is God reveals Himself to us in so many ways. He reveals Himself to us in black and white in the record of the Scripture. He reveals Himself in our conscience. He reveals Himself if we will come to Him through the Holy Spirit. And He does all of these things for one reason. So that we can know Him and become like Him. I want you to look at the Gospel of John chapter 17 verse 13. Gospel of John chapter 17 verse 13. Jesus is speaking here, and I want you to pick up on the reason that God has revealed truth to us. Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 13. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. Again, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Verse 17, this is where it gets critical. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy through your truth. God reveals himself. God reveals the truth to us so that we can in fact be made like him. I'm not talking about becoming omniscient or omnipresent or any of that sort of thing. I'm not talking about us having the, the same uh, uh, qualities like that that God has. But what I am talking about is that we will have the same character that God has. That we will have the same kind of heart that God has. You see, God wants us to love as He loves. 
He wants us to be just as He is just. He wants us to be merciful as He is merciful. And He wants us to love truth since He Himself is truth, which brings us to the crux of the matter. That is not what the world wants. As a matter of fact, truth is explicitly what the Western world is rejecting, and it is rejecting it wholesale. How do I know that the Western world is rejecting God's truth? I know it because He tells us very specifically in His Word what it looks like when a culture rejects Him. I want you to look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Very nearly the most unpopular passages in all of the Scripture, if not the most unpopular. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to read a good chunk. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. But God shows His anger from heaven against all the sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So there's wicked people out there who are suppressing the truth. It's intentional. It's like the elephant story that we've already talked about, verse 19. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. We've already talked about how, verse 20. He says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. You know, George Burns or Morgan Freeman. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So... God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged with sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do what should never be done. And their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So let's summarize what we've just read here. Let me tell you something first of all. When people reject God, there is always moral chaos and confusion. Anytime a people rejects God, there's going to be moral chaos and confusion. 
And so what he says here, he says, first of all, it begins this way. People forget or get confused about who God really is. And then they make a God that suits their own version of what, him, what they want him to be like. And then they give themselves over to whatever urges or desires they have, especially sexual ones for some reason. Then they turn right into wrong and wrong into right. And they begin to advocate bad ethical behavior instead of good ethical behavior. And they persecute people who don't go along with them. Is that not a picture of where we are today? I hate to sound like an old curmudgeon, and I know that sometimes I do, and sometimes I feel like one too. But I was raised, me, I'm, I'm 58, 58. And I was raised, I can well remember the time when you could leave your doors unlocked and you lived right in town. I can remember in our little town when you could go to the cafe, we had gun racks in our pickups. You usually carried a 22 and some type of a, of a heavier rifle, a 30-30 or something like that, nearly all the time. That was just standard issue out on the ranch. And you could drive to town with those guns in the rack, windows rolled down, go into the restaurant, eat your food, and know that whenever you came outside, everything was just going to be how you left it. I can remember when kids could play outside. When I went to school in first grade, when I got through with school on some days, because we lived on the ranch, mom would say, well, you just walk over to your grandmother's house. She lived right there in town. And as a first grader, I walked from school to my grandmother's house, and it was 100% safe. A few years later, we moved to town, and I had to walk about a mile and a quarter one way to school and back, and it was perfectly safe. Most kids in any neighborhood of any color, lived with mothers and fathers. Divorce was exceedingly rare. Guys, that was less than 50 years ago. Today we have to lock our doors. Our kids cannot play outside. Kids are raised by all kinds of, of uh, mixed arrangements. Divorce is rampant. Sexuality is so confused. Sometimes we're giving little girls and boys now hormones before they even reach puberty instead of trying to counsel them into some type of normalcy which most of them would arrive at. Not all. I'm not trying to pretend that some of the problems that we have today haven't always existed because they have. My, my mom told me when she was a little girl this, this man... Uh, bought a truckload of gravel to their house and he dumped it on their driveway and smoothed it out for them and her mom went out and said, I sure do thank you for that, Maybell." And she said, I was so confused. And I said, Mama, why are you calling that man Maybell? Well, because Maybell was a woman, but she, she was a very masculine woman. This is not a, a new reality, but what I'm saying to you is that we... we whenever we begin to treat our children as though that is normative and we don't give them any opportunity to, to, to get out of that. And in addition to all of that, guys, we live in a time in which firearms are so numerous and, and uh, violence is so common that we're having to arm our teachers and our schools to even feel safe about sending our kids to school. And by the way, how many of you are concerned about maybe getting shot on the freeway? 
I think it's very real. I'm telling you, I'm a lot slower to toot my horn than I used to be. I promise you. It's a different world out there. And talk about confusion. We no longer have just two genders, male and female. But in 2015, Facebook began to make it where you could select from 51 different genders. But that wasn't enough. There was, um, there was pushback. And so they expanded it to 73 and then ultimately to 76. And now if you go online, you can find lists of genders that, that literally are over 100. Talk about confused. I said that any time a culture rejects God and comes under His judgment, there is always confusion and moral chaos. But I want you to notice the context of this passage. It's not saying that the people who do these things will be judged. It's not saying that the people who will do these things first, let me, let me say it accurately. It's not saying that the people will begin to do these things and then God will judge them because they're doing these things. That is not what Romans 1 is saying. That's how we read it. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that people will do these sort of things first and that will make God unhappy and He will judge them. That's not what it's saying. It is saying the very fact that people do these things indicate that God has already judged them. And so some of you, are very concerned and you're very nervous and you're wondering about the world we're living in and you're asking yourself, surely God is going to judge us at some time and you're waiting for it to happen. It's already happened. According to Romans 1. Because it tells us very explicitly the kinds of things that God allows to happen when a people fall under His judgment. By the way, Romans 2 tells us, don't get too chipper. Because he said, those of you that are apt to judge those around you do some of the very same things and God is going to hold you accountable also. But at the end of the day, guys, we are left with two very different worldviews. One of these worldviews tells us that all of the things going on around us are nothing more than differences of opinion. That everyone really loves and desires God and they're trying in their own way to get to God the best way they know how. The other view tells us that God has already revealed Himself, but people don't want Him. At least not for who He really is. And so they make up their own gods and do their own thing. You'll have to decide for yourself which view you think is true. But I'm going to tell you some truth, brothers and sisters. Holiness will never lead you into moral confusion. It will never do it. I'm talking about true holiness. I'm not talking about phony self-righteousness. I'm not talking about hypocrisy where people uh, pretend to be one way on Sunday and they live a different way the rest of the week. I'm, not talking about, I'm talking about true holiness. I'm talking about people who have come to Christ and they've received grace and they love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind and they are struggling to achieve the holiness that God has called them to. That kind of holiness will never lead you into confusion. It will never lead you to take money that's not yours. It will never lead you to touch a child sexually. It will never lead you to run over someone and leave them impaled in your windshield. It will never lead you to take a bribe, Dwayne Carraway. It will never lead you to throw a baby away. It will never lead you to have an affair. 
It will never lead you to a life of drunkenness or drug abuse. It will never lead you to strike your spouse or to abuse your children or to do any other ugly thing. The holiness of God, the truth of God is a foundation that you can stand on that will defend you and your family from all kinds of destruction and foolishness that is out there in the world. Holiness will never lead you wrong. But moral relativism will. It very, very well, it very, very well may at least. And so at the end of the day, we have to decide, will we let God be true and every man a liar? Or will we let every man be true and then make God a liar? Because that's the option that we're being offered. And make no mistake about it, you can't embrace both of those options. One of those options is true and one of those options is false. And the choice that you and I make, brothers and sisters, will govern our lives and govern the lives of our children. And the stakes could not possibly be higher than they are. God is truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord God, praising you and thanking you for the rain that you've allowed to fall on our land. I know it sounds like a cliche, but we thank you that you are a God that allows rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. We praise you for blessing this good earth. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for being our God. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for the Word of God, which is truth. We thank you for the Spirit of God that leads us. We thank you for our consciences, which you have used to, to write your very will upon our hearts. And yet, Lord God, we look all around you and these things are being pushed away at a phenomenal speed and a phenomenal pace. And we see the chaos and the confusion that it's causing. And Lord God, I don't pretend to think that we can turn anything around, but we can at least embrace truth for ourselves and embrace truth for our family. And Lord God, I pray that you will enable us to do that very thing. I know this morning, Father, that there will be those here for whom this message was disturbing and hard. But I pray that they will come to you. I pray that they will seek the word. I pray that they will be honest. I pray that they will reflect. And I pray their hearts will be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.